Being a Better Man, Episode 98. All right, guys, welcome to Wednesday. Welcome to Storytime with Alf. Storytime is where I tell a true story from my strange and interesting life. The purpose of the story is not just to entertain you, but also to share with you the lesson or lessons I learned from that story. They might even cause you to reevaluate parts of your life and help you get lessons that you never knew were there. With that being said, just sit back, relax, and enjoy the story. I was 18 years old, freshly out of basic training and a two-month stint as a hometown recruiter for the Army, and now I was stationed at Fort Hood, Texas. I had arrived at Fort Hood around the first part of January. Prior to leaving home for my duty station, I had gone to visit my grandmother in the hospital on my way to the airport. She was my father's mother. And there I was, all decked out in my dress green uniform, looking and feeling pretty sharp. And there was my grandmother, laying in bed, stricken by cancer and unable to speak. I had been pretty close to my grandmother. She lived on our property, and I would visit her fairly regularly. She was my healthy grandmother. She was always jogging up and down the street and going on fishing trips and really just living life to the fullest. She had quit smoking a couple decades before, so it was kind of a shock for everybody when healthy grandma was diagnosed with lung cancer. So there I was, standing in her hospital room to say goodbye, and even though she had lost the power of speech, her mind was still strong. She did all the speaking she needed to do with her eyes. I sat by her bed and took her hand and stared into those eyes, trying my best to communicate in the same way she was communicating with me. It was a hard thing because we both knew we would never see each other again in life. It was just a matter of time for her, and I had my orders to go to Texas. So I sat there for quite a while, just holding her hand and telling her how much I loved her with my eyes. There were tears staining both of our cheeks, and the finality of it all was overwhelming. But eventually my dad reminded me that I had a plane to catch, so one last long look and a squeeze of the hand, and I was out the door and on my way to Texas. Just two months later in February, I got the call I had been expecting. My grandmother had died. She was going to be buried next to her husband in Glendive, Montana, and my family wanted me there. I wanted to be there too, so I asked for and received a short leave of absence from the Army. Being only 18... I wasn't too smart yet. I was young and strong and invincible. Or so I thought. My flight was an early one, around 5 in the morning, but I had decided it would be a good idea to stay up partying with my friends until the wee hours of the morning the night before my flight. Then around 3 o'clock in the morning I realized I only had a couple hours left until my flight, and I was afraid that if I went to sleep now... I wouldn't wake up, and I would miss my flight for sure. So I decided it was a better idea to just stay up all night until it was time to catch my flight. And it was kind of a critical thing that I caught my flight because there were not any planes going into Glendive where the funeral was. 
I had to fly into Billings, Montana, which was about 220 miles away from the funeral. My family was going to meet me there, and we would all drive up together. But something happened. The chair I was sitting in was too comfortable or something. But the next thing I knew, I was waking up with a start. Looking at my watch, I saw that my flight left in 15 minutes. There was no way I could make it in time. It was impossible. But I went on to the airport anyway. I explained my story to the people at the airport, and they went to work finding me another flight. And they found one. But it would land at 11 o'clock at night, several hours after my original flight was supposed to land. But I took the flight without hesitation. It was the only option I had. Now, it was 1981, and cell phones had not been invented yet. There was no way to contact my family to inform them of the flight change, because they were on the road somewhere between Washington and Montana. My best and only hope was that they would figure out what happened and wait for me. When I landed in Billings, a blizzard had just started up, and there were big drifts of snow all over the runway, and they were fighting hard to keep it clear. I had just come from Texas, and I wasn't exactly dressed for a blizzard. These were my cowboy days, and I looked the part, too. I had a pair of pointy-toed, slick-bottomed cowboy boots, Levi jeans, a western shirt, and a denim jacket with fake sheep wool on the inside. Oh, and a cowboy hat, of course. I got off the plane and looked around hopefully, but I didn't see one familiar face. I wasn't sure what to do. There was a blizzard, after all, and it was ten below zero outside, and Glendive was 220 miles away. But somehow, for some reason... In my 18-year-old brain, there only seemed to be one option. I had to make it to my grandmother's funeral, regardless of the apparent obstacles. I asked the guy at the desk which direction you would go if you were going to Glendive. He pointed, and I was out the door and on my way, hitchhiking to Glendive in a blizzard. It took me about 15 minutes to make it to the freeway. It was very very cold and very dark as well there weren't a bunch of street lights lighting the freeway like there was back home the cold and dark hadn't phased me yet though i was determined to make it to that funeral the snow was piling up fast when i started out there was only about six inches but now 30 minutes later there was almost a foot i had to stop every few minutes to knock the snow off my hat i was starting to get real cold so I would slide my suitcase ahead of me on the icy road, kind of like I was bowling. And then I would run to catch up to it. And then I would do it again and again. I figured all that running would keep my body warm, at least until someone stopped to give me a ride. But there was one fact I had not counted on. People don't generally drive around much in a blizzard. In the first hour, I only saw two cars. And when they came by me, I realized they probably didn't even see me on the side of the road. The freeway was a sheet of ice, so any driver would be focused only on the road ahead. Not only that, but the snow was coming down so hard they might not see me even if they looked straight at me. It wasn't until a couple hours passed that I started to really get worried.
I was frozen to the bone. Running to my suitcase had stopped working some time ago. In fact, I think it made it worse because I was sweating a little bit. And then the freezing air was turning my sweat to ice and making me even colder. I hadn't seen a car or any signs of life in 45 minutes. It was dark and cold, and I was more alone than I had ever been. I started to resolve myself to the notion that I was an idiot, and that it was a pretty sure bet that I was going to die out here. I told myself there were a lot worse ways of dying than trying to get to a loved one's funeral. I just kept going. Finally, another car came by, a pickup actually. I got as close as I could to the driving surface of the road in the hopes that they would see me. And I was waving my arms frantically trying to get their attention. His headlights made two almost solid beams of snow in the air ahead of him. As they drove by, I knew they had not seen me. The road was super slick, and the pickup fishtailed for a little bit before gaining control and moving on out of sight. I stood there watching it go, my lower jaw clacking against the upper jaw as I shivered uncontrollably in the cold. I thought that maybe I just saw the last humans I would ever see in this life. But since there wasn't anything else to do except keep walking, that's what I did. Fifteen minutes later, I had all but given up hope. I was in the process of saying goodbye to everyone I loved in my mind. I felt terribly bad because I knew how much my parents would suffer at the news, especially my mom. But suddenly the air around me was illuminated. I looked around and saw two headlights cutting through the snow. I couldn't believe it. Another chance. This vehicle was going much, much slower, almost as slow as a man would walk. As it got up to me, it stopped, and a door opened. A man yelled at me to get in, and he didn't have to yell twice. The heated interior of the cab almost made my skin hurt as it adapted to the contrast in temperatures. I was in a state of shock mentally as well, because I had become so convinced I was going to die it was hard to believe what was happening. There were two people in the truck, um, the man driving and one of his teenage daughters. My jaw hadn't even stopped clacking when he started yelling at me. What in the hell are you doing out here, son? Don't you know there's a blizzard going on? You could die out here. But through a shivering chin, I managed to tell him that I was going to my grandmother's funeral in Glendive that I missed my plane, and there wasn't anyone to pick me up. His tone softened. He shook his head, muttered to himself, and then he told me I would be okay. He said they would take care of me and see me off the following day. By the time we got to his ranch, I was almost done shivering. We went into the house where we met his very kind and loving wife. We all sat down, and he told his version of the story how he thought he had seen something on the outskirts of his headlights. He tried to stop, but the road was too slick. So he took the next exit and doubled back around, going real slow to see if he could see it again. And that's how he found me. His wife was fussing over me like I was a long-lost relative or something. She made me some hot cocoa, and then we feasted on a banquet of fried chicken and mashed potatoes and gravy. 
and afterward they saw to it that I had a long hot shower. They gave me bedclothes to wear, and then she washed the clothes I was wearing. They took me to a room where the most comfortable bed in the universe was waiting for me. As soon as my head hit the pillow, I was out cold. The next morning I was awakened by the smell of bacon and coffee. My clothes were folded and clean on a chair, so I put them on and wandered downstairs to where everybody was eating breakfast. We discussed my situation. I was reminded a couple more times how foolish I had been and how lucky I was to be alive, and I didn't argue. Finally, it was decided that the man's son would drive me to the nearest bus station. Because I was a young idiot, I wasn't traveling with any money, so they would buy me a bus ticket to Glendive to my grandmother's funeral. I was awestruck by their kindness and hospitality. I was aware of how close I had come to cashing in my chips, and I was thanking them over and over again profusely. But before the son and I left for the bus station, the wife gave me a little care package she had made, some snacks and cookies, and a letter addressed to my mom. Now you make sure she gets this, she said as she handed it to me. The roads were still in horrible shape, so the ride to the bus station was an exciting story in itself, but we made it. I settled into a seat, and I was on my way to Glendive. Glendive was not a very big town, so when I arrived, I asked someone where the cemetery was and started walking in that direction. I came upon it pretty quickly. There was a big hill that the road curved up, and I could see lots of people and cars up there, so I figured that's where everybody was. As I was halfway up the hill, cars started driving down. Apparently, the service was over. I had just missed it, just barely. When my parents were driving down and saw me, they slammed on their brakes and almost caused a wreck with the car behind them. My mother came bounding out of the car and practically tackled me. She was holding my face in both hands, looking at me as though my expression would give her all the answers she needed. Then my dad walked up. I gave them the short story because I wanted to get up to where my grandmother was buried. I needed to say goodbye one final time and pay my respects. I got in their car and we drove up the hill to the gravesite. They left me alone for a while, and I conducted my own private little funeral for this amazing lady who had meant so much to me and my family. While I was there, I said a few words to my grandfather as well. After that, we all gathered at a relative's house like kind of a reception. That's when I told my parents the whole story. While I talked, my mother just sat there crying, knowing how close she'd come to, to losing me. When they asked me more questions about the people who saved my life, I remembered the letter. I handed it to my mother. She trembled and cried as she read it. Apparently, the letter was full of praise for me, the idiot, and good wishes for our family, condolences for our loss, and, well, love, just pure love was in that letter, the kind of letter you might imagine one mother would write to another mother, and it was just what my mom needed. My mother corresponded with this family for many years after this happened. 
They exchanged Christmas cards and occasional phone calls, but they never met in person. My mother held them in the highest regard and spoke of them with reverence because my mom knew that they were the only reason I was still alive. I learned a lot of lessons from this, many of them obvious, like don't be an idiot. But far and away, the biggest thing I learned was how important human kindness and hospitality can be. These people were the personification of hospitality. They saved me. They brought me into their home. They fed me, comforted me, gave me safe passage. What they did saved my life for sure. But the ramifications of that are astounding. If they hadn't done that, none of my children would have been born. None of my nine grandchildren, the latest one who is only three weeks old, None of them would exist. All the people who my life and my children's lives have touched would never know us. On and on, generation after generation, to infinity. That's what these kind people in the middle of Montana did. And this is why I'm hospitable to strangers. This is why I try to be kind to other people. I will spend the rest of my life trying to pay forward this gift. And who knows, in doing so, I might save someone else's life or significantly alter their future. So that's the lesson of this story. Human kindness and hospitality. They don't cost a great deal to the people who provide them. But the effects they cause can change lives, if not the world. Well, that's it for today, guys. Now head out into the world and be kind to somebody. Be gracious and hospitable because it's the right thing to do. And it's one more very significant way that you can be a better man today than you were yesterday. Until next time, this is Alf Herigstad signing out. This episode of Being a Better Man was brought to you by Audible.com. To download your free audiobook and get started on your free 30-day trial, just go to www.beingabettermanpodcast.com forward slash book. That'll take you to a special sign-up page and you can get started today. Thanks to Audible.com and thanks to you for listening and supporting the Being a Better Man podcast.